0: Well, think back for a moment to the days before cell phones. Some of you are young enough to not know that there was a time before cell phones. But some of us can remember, for example, watching out the front window, waiting to see a loved one's car come down the street after a, a long trip. No way to get an update on their journey. You just had to wait. Think about several generations ago before phones of any kind. When a loved one would travel, their family would have to wait to receive a letter in the mail saying that they had made it safely. Or some of you can think of the scene in the waiting room at the hospital waiting for news, for news from the doctor about your loved one who's critically ill. I know several of you have recently waited for that phone call from a doctor updating you on test results. Some of you have had a loved one caught in the jaws of addiction. And so you spend your whole life waiting for a phone call, either that your loved one has been arrested or even worse that they have overdosed. Waiting can be an incredibly difficult season. But that's not the only type of waiting that we do in this life. There's also waiting for that trip that you've been saving all year to take. There's waiting to see your grandkids who come for a visit. And then waiting for them to go back home so you have some silence. There's waiting for that dessert that's baking in the oven. There's waiting for those last few months before retirement we might think of it like this there's dreadful waiting and then there's eager waiting and that's what's interesting is that in both dreadful waiting and in eager waiting you can be waiting in the midst of bad circumstances advent is of course a time of waiting it's a time of repentance a time of anticipation And as our scripture passage this morning speaks of this very waiting, it speaks of the circumstances of our world, the struggles that we experience that might not be all that good. We might be in the midst of dreadful waiting, it would seem, but all who are in Christ are engaged in eager waiting, eager anticipation, because we know that this life for all of its troubles and all of its struggles this life isn't the whole story because we know that there is something incomparably better that lies in front of us we're reading this morning from first corinthians chapter 1 starting in verse 3 and i would remind you that this is god's word to us grace and peace to you from god our father and the lord jesus christ i always thank my god for you because of his grace given you in christ jesus for in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge god thus confirming our testimony about christ among you therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord God we pray that your word uh, would minister to change soften impact Our hearts today would be drawn to repentance and faith in you and that we would live with eager anticipation of your return we pray in Jesus name Amen some of you have maybe had the chance to visit the International Peace Gardens up on the Canadian border in in northern North Dakota One of the interesting things at at the the Peace Gardens and one of the fun things to do is that there are places where you can stand with one foot in the United States and one foot in Canada. Two entirely different sovereign nations at the very same time. On this first Sunday in Advent, we take time to, to focus on this very reality of being sort of in the space between one foot in one place and another foot in another place we exist in the space between what christ has accomplished in his death and resurrection two thousand years ago and what he has promised for all who believe that is the new heavens and the new earth in which sin and death and evil will be no more and we will live for eternity with god as christians today we find ourselves as people caught in the middle. We exist in between Christ's sure defeat of sin on the cross and the final fulfillment of all that he has promised. One theologian that I read spoke of this middle ground that we are in as being like the time gap between seeing the lightning with your eyes and hearing the thunder shake your home. We can live with sure and certain anticipation that because Christ was born, died, and rose again, that he's going to return and make all things new. That really is the focus of the Advent season. In a society in which Christmas begins in October, but is far more about consumerism than it is about the God whose name it bears, it seems even more important than ever to pause and to appreciate the meaning of this season of Advent. Advent is not Christmas. It's a season where we look back at Christ's first advent in which he was born in humility in order to die for the sin of the world and in which we look forward to him coming again to complete all that he started. And so our focus today is specifically on two words from our text today. Those words eagerly wait. And this eager waiting is not a new thing. In your bulletin, you'll read the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a German pastor who died in a Nazi prison camp because of his resistance to the Third Reich. Bonhoeffer wrote these words. He said in, in a letter from the prison camp, The Advent season is a season of waiting, but our whole life is an Advent season. That is, a season of waiting for the last advent, for the time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. He says that our life, the life of the Christian, is one long season of waiting. As much as we might try to deceive ourselves into thinking that everything around us is great, it isn't. Everything is broken. Everything is decaying nothing is as it was created to be some from our church family buried a loved one this week everything's not all right i prayed on the phone this week with a friend and colleague in ministry he called me to tell me that his wife had just received a cancer diagnosis that morning everything's not all right and so the posture of the christian is to be one of eagerly waiting for Jesus to do all that he has promised. We are never, if we are in Christ, we are never comfortable with today. We can rest today in Christ, but we're never comfortable with the way that things are because we know the way that God intended things to be. In Romans chapter 8, verse 23, we see similar language. Paul says that, We, quote, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. Think about those words. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. What are we waiting for? He answers that question. He says, we wait eagerly for adoption as children. The redemption of our bodies. And then in Colossians chapter 3, we read that Jesus will appear... And Paul says that when he appears, all who are trusting in him will appear with him in glory. That's what we are eagerly waiting for. And there's so much for us to be anticipating. Our adoption as children, it's been declared, it's been finalized, but we will receive it in its fullness when Christ appears Paul says that we eagerly wait the redemption of our bodies I think all of us understand that and the older that we get we understand that even more that this is not what God created us to be this is not what God had in mind when he said it is very good and so we wait for that redemption and we wait for the opportunity to be with Christ forever in the new heavens and the new earth where sin and death are no more you know this doesn't come naturally to us we are captive to time we are slaves of what we can see and experience and so it can be really hard on normal days to live with anticipation and expectancy of something that can seem so far off that we might believe intellectually That Jesus is coming again. But it is is so common for the cares of this world to sort of numb us to it. To distract us from waiting eagerly. And this is why trials, suffering, can actually be such a gift to us. Because suffering and, and trials remind us that everything isn't as it was supposed to be. That there is something better coming they leave us with a longing with hope waiting for christ to be revealed in just a few minutes we're going to have the opportunity to receive the lord's supper and i want you to think about what paul says in 1 corinthians 11 when he's giving instructions on how the church should receive communion paul says this he says whenever we take the lord's supper we Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Think about that. The very act of receiving the Lord's Supper is eagerly waiting for Christ to return. Now he gives himself to us in simple, tangible elements, but there is a day coming when we will receive him in his fullness. What's particularly helpful about our text is that while the focus is on eagerly waiting for Christ to return, the passage actually shares with us four reminders that we can hold on to in the midst of our waiting. And So allow me to share those four reminders for us to hold on to today. The first one is this. As you eagerly wait for Christ's return, remember that we have been given grace in Christ. We see this in verses 3 and 4 of our text. Paul gives that common apostolic greeting, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Grace is a predominant theme in all of the New Testament, especially in Paul's writing and certainly here in this, in the introductory words to his letter the church in Corinth. Grace is the word that is given to try to, to attempt to describe the undeserved and unearned mercy and favor that God has shown us in Christ. We understand that far more profoundly when we realize the audience to whom Paul is writing. He's writing to the Corinthian church, a church that was messy to say the least. If you haven't read 1 Corinthians recently do it. And and you'll understand this theme of grace more profoundly. There was present within this congregation all types of sin and disorder and immorality. And Paul would call it out later in the letter. He's going to address what's going on in this church later in the letter. But for now, he's speaking not of the level of morality of his audience. He's speaking of the grace of God. Of God. In his letter to the Ephesian Christians, Paul would remind them with clear emphasis that their salvation was not a product of their works, of the good things that they had done or could do, but that their salvation was a product of God's grace alone. He says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this grace and faith are are gifts from God so that nobody can boast. So that we know that our forgiveness and our salvation are gifts which can only ever be received, never earned. We have been given grace in Christ. This is the very core, the very center of the gospel. And therefore the very core, the very center of The Christian faith that God forgives our sins and calls us his children by grace alone without any work or any worthiness on our part and not only does God's grace make us forgiven children of God the Bible also says that because of his grace we are declared righteous we may tend to think of righteousness as something that we do something that we accomplish. Have you lived a righteous life? As sort of the the totality of one's behavior. But of course, the reality is that if my righteousness before a holy God was dependent upon my behavior, I'm in serious trouble. I made the mistake of scrolling through the cesspool that is Facebook this week. I came across a A conversation where an acquaintance of mine who happens to be a pastor's kid commented on this post that he had never seen his dad sin. I started laughing out loud because of course that's just silly, right? Matthew 5.48 tells us that the standard is perfection. Anything short of perfection is sin. Jesus in Matthew 5.48 says, be perfect as your heavenly father is Perfect. And anything less than that standard is sin. Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And of course, if you give us five minutes in the morning, we've wrecked it. Every one of us. We may love God, but we also love other things. We may be above average in terms of behavior or morality, but were certainly not perfect. Don't worry, you will never hear my kids say that they've never seen me sin. It'll never happen. But I hope one day you'll hear them say that all of my hope, all of my boasting was in God's grace to sinners like me. As we wait, as we walk through seasons of suffering, seasons of failure seasons of sin seasons of struggle as we eagerly wait for christ to return we have been given grace in christ he has poured out his grace upon us think about the apostle paul's next letter his second letter to the corinthians he talks about this thorn in his flesh and we don't know what that thorn was that paul spent his life wrestling with but Paul says that he prayed and he prayed and he waited for God to take this thorn away and what was God's reply my grace is sufficient for you we have been given grace grace that is sufficient for all of our waiting and our suffering and our struggle and our pain his grace is sufficient for you the second reminder that we can cling to as we wait is this that we have been given spiritual gifts we see it in verse 7 of our text therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our lord jesus christ to be revealed he says you don't lack any necessary gifts god has poured out not only his grace, but also his gifts. What Paul does here in this verse is so profound. Don't miss it. And if we only understand it, we only can wrap our minds around this if we read the text properly. Remember that this was written not to an individual. This letter was written to a church, to a gathering of believers just like this one, to members of the church in Corinth. And he's going to talk a lot about spiritual gifts later in the letter and all that God has given to his church. But this is so critical. He ties together here our eager waiting for Christ to return with the gifts that God has given to his church. Do you see what he did there? He says you lack nothing when you're together, when you're in the body of Christ. We are tempted, and we naturally read Scripture individualistically. Our natural bent is toward egocentricity, right? We're the center of the universe, and so we read the Bible that way. And so we hear, you do not lack any spiritual gifts, as if Paul is talking to us individually. But that's not the audience to whom Paul is writing. He's writing to the church. And so he says, you lack nothing when you are together when you are in the body of Christ when you are alone when you're apart from the body of Christ you lack much the scriptures illustrate this in a number of different ways sometimes it's the illustration of the body one body many parts that we see in scripture other times we we see for example the, the the illustration of us being living stones who are built together into something great. Or even at the Lord's Supper, when we, when we hear the words that we are one body and that God gives his grace to us as we are gathered together as one body because we all share of one loaf. God has given you gifts that I don't have. And God has given me gifts that some of you don't has. God has gifted some with teaching gifts and some with gifts of acts of service and help. God has given some discernment and some deep mercy. God has given some gifts of administration and others an unwavering commitment to prayer. And we were created to live in community, in, in unity, in relationship, in friendship, together as the body of Christ, so that when I'm surrounded by people whose gifts complement mine, I can confidently say I lack nothing. God has given us in this room everything that we need. When you distance yourself from the church, you are incomplete. God has poured out his gifts not to you individually and not for you, individually, but to and for his church. And we lack nothing when we are together. Paul summons the Corinthian church toward one another in unity. Because we are all in the same place. We are all eagerly waiting for Christ to return. And because we need one another. The third reminder that we can cling to as we eagerly wait is this and that's the promise that he will keep you firm and blameless verse 8 says he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ this is where we where we encounter perhaps the best news of the passage we may tend to think of God's grace as being something that we need when we when we first come to recognize our sin when we feel conscious when we sort of consciously feel guilt for our sin, we, we know in that moment that we need God's grace. But in reality, we need God's grace every day. We never outgrow our need for His grace, and, and God continues to pour out his grace. He delivers his grace to us through word and through sacrament, and his grace not only saves but it also keeps his grace not only delivers us from the power of sin but it it keeps us it preserves us it establishes us it confirms us don't read this and think that Paul means that that God will give us strength to live a blameless life so that we will be blameless on the day of the Lord no it it means just what it says that he will Keep us firm till the end. He will sustain you, confirm you to the very end. In other words, his grace isn't going anywhere. You were in need of his grace from before you were born. And you will continue to be in need of his grace until the moment you die. Notice the active party in verse 8. It says, Jesus will keep you firm and strong he will sustain you he will keep you to the end he will ensure that you are blameless on that day he is the only way that you could ever be blameless in the first place and by his grace he will keep you until that day as you wait wait in god's grace knowing that his grace will keep you blameless righteous forgiven not because Of what you can do but because of the promise of God to you in Christ and then the final reminder for us today as we wait is this that he is faithful verse 9 says God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord if you think about it all, uh, all of life all of our hope all of our existence depends upon the faithfulness of God God has made promises and he will keep his promises because he is faithful because that's who he is if keeping your salvation if staying saved was up to you you would certainly be damned if eagerly waiting for Christ's return were all in your hands you would give up and move on to something much more tangible, much more present. When encouraging the Corinthian church in their waiting, notice that Paul doesn't point them to anything that lies within themselves. He doesn't remind them of their great love for one another. He doesn't remind them of their morality and their good works, their commitment to God's word. He points them squarely to the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. If you have faith in Jesus Christ today, it's because God has called you. It's because God has opened your eyes to see. Because the seeds of the gospel that were sown into your life took root and grew. And this is not because of you. He is the author of your faith. And the good news, the promise for us today is that he will keep you. Firm to the very end. Our assurance is only ever in the faithfulness of God. And so as we journey through this life, as as you struggle to make sense of our world, as you deal with all that comes your way, good and bad, as, as you wait, wait eagerly. Because Jesus is coming to make all things new to bring an end to sin, to cause death to die, to make everything sad come untrue. Jesus is coming. And as you wait, remember that we have been given grace, that we lack no spiritual gift when we're in the body of Christ, that he will keep us firm and blameless to the end, and that he is faithful. Let's pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. God, we thank you that as we wait in this world, that we can wait not dreadfully, but eagerly because you have poured out your grace, because you have given us gifts in your church, because you have promised to keep us blameless and firm to the end, and because you are faithful. We thank you for your word today. Help us to wait eagerly. And God, we thank you that your son Jesus comes to us this morning. We share together. So come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.